Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Gang, today, before we get into the episode, I've got something serious I need to talk to you about. If you were listening to this podcast on the day it came out, that's Wednesday, June the 12th, do me a favor please and head over to DrAndyRourke.com and just see what's there. And I ask that because my team and I have taken down the website. We've taken down DrAndyRourke.com, and in its place, we put up a single article. And this is a proposal that I have written for all of you about what we as a profession might do to help address the epidemic of suicide that we've wrestled with for so long. Uh, this is something I feel very strongly about. It's something I feel very passionate about. I believe that there are things that we can do and we can do them right now that will save lives, that will help us to address what's going on. I don't think there's an easy fix, and obviously you know that, but there are some concrete next steps that I think we as a whole profession need to take. And so I've laid them out there. I hope that you'll take a look. I hope that you'll think about what I'm proposing. And if you're on board and if you agree that that there's a point to what I'm saying, Guys, I need champions in the vet clinics. I need people who who hear this and who say, I've had enough. We need to address this. We've got to make some changes in our clinics. And so this has got to be a grassroots movement. There's no you know rules to make to make people do things. This is about us saying that we want a better profession. We want a safer profession. We want to do what's right for our colleagues. And so I do need your help um, if, if we're going to get some traction and make some real changes. So please take a look. See what you think. Help me spread the word. Help me uh, get these, these proposed changes into the practices that are out there that need them. So anyway, if it's not June the 12th and you're going, but I missed the day. How do I find it? It's, it's not going to be hard to find. You can head over to DrAndyWork.com and just search for What Do We Do About Suicide, and you'll find the article there. So, guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all that you do and all your support. Let's go ahead and get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me. <laughs> Colleague, my cohort, my wing woman, Stephanie, fight the power, Goss. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Man. How's it going, Andy? It's good. It's I'm not, and it's not good. It's uh, it's like the second day the kids are out of school, and oh man, they're out of they're out of school already. That's early. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, they haven't really been in school for weeks now. You know, like <laughs> they send out the final report cards, and then who are we kidding after that? They're done. Oh, yeah. They're, I, I, I looked at my eight-year-old right in her face, and I said, what did you do today at school? And she was like, nothing. We partied <laughs> all day long. I'm like, what kind of frat school do you go to? Like, Oh, man. That's so fun, though. Pledge to get into this school? How did that happen? <laughs> Their teachers are done, man, and I don't blame them. That's like, that is one of the hardest jobs. My, my kids' uh, teachers awesome and they're doing a um countdown to the last days of school and every day they're doing some sort of fun activity and i was like for the last 10 days and they got a big calendar up and they're popping a balloon every day with a you know that tells them what their activity is and i was like you rock on with your bad self man because i cannot imagine being at this point in the year and still dealing with 35 of my child (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah no i i can't imagine 
doing it for any, I can't imagine doing it for a week, much less a year. <laughs> I looked, I looked at my daughter and I was like, why do why do I even take you there? And she was like, do you want me to stay home? And I was like, back, <laughs> no, <laughs> back to the rager that you go, you know? So they're out of school for the summer. That's fun. They are camps start next week. And so this right, this Friday or today, I am, uh, when we're recording this, I am, uh, I am juggling uh, some some work and some children. <laughs> nice, nice. That's that's the life right there. That's the life. Well, you want to so do this we, thing? Yeah. What do we got today? <laughs> we we got an email, and um, we got an email. So first of all, let me talk about this. So it's an email coming, and pretty much every email we've gotten, people say, um, "My uh, staff listens to the podcast," and so. If you could keep this anonymous, that would be great. And so we've got, we get that every time. This was the first time the person contacted us and then provided their own pseudonym, which, <laughs> which I want to be the norm from now on. From now on, when people reach out to us, I want you to let us know what you would like to be referred to as. Tell, it, tell us who your alter ego is. Just like Jonathan, practice owner in New Jersey. All right, Jonathan in New Jersey. What's going on with him? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's talk about Jonathan <laughs> and how he's doing. All right. <laughs> so the email comes in and says, could you please talk about resistance from the staff? We've tried to implement multiple things and we keep getting pushback. Of course, our ideas are brilliant. Yet the team doesn't see it that way. They see it as yet another thing they have to do. All right. And so he goes on and gives us examples, which are really important because we it's really hard for us to have these conversations without some examples to work off of. So he said they're using a template to standardize what clients are being asked upon admission. So it's kind of like, here are the questions that we ask pet owners when they show up. Uh, we okay. want them to use that particular form so that the notes can be added to the patient report when the client goes home so you can take the results and drop them straight into the, you know, the report card they're already sending home. Sure. Um, whenever they use the, whenever they freestyle, we can't generate the patient report. Using a travel sheet so that we avoid missed charges. He wants to track charges that way. Uh, that's not really boring. Getting trained for fear free. All team members were happy to get trained on our dime. Two refused, claiming that they wouldn't have time to do everything by the book. So why bother? Ooh, and says, okay. so please call me Jonathan, practice owner in New Jersey. If you need any clarifying information, please let me know. Thanks, guys. Truly love the podcast. You two are the best. That's awesome. Uh, well, Jonathan in New Jersey, we're, uh, I'm super excited that you're you're listening. And I'm actually really excited about this one. This is a can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think... <laughs> I think you are totally correct in thinking that your ideas are brilliant and <laughs> and these and these are some really really good ones. Um the first question that I would have and this isn't this isn't one that we're going to have an answer to but I think it's worth um dissecting how it could go two different ways because of the answer which is I wonder if they're trying to implement all three changes like this at the same time. Or if these have been done over time, because my first thought um, in hearing you read this was 
those are three amazing changes. And, and as a practice manager, you have my vote on all three of them, but I think that they are also ginormous tasks and undertaking for a team. And if you're trying to implement those three changes at the same time, I could absolutely see where the staff could be having some mutinous behavior. Yeah. I, so (laughs) let me start up and say, I agree that these are great ideas. I will also point out that we have never gotten an email from someone who said, I think my ideas are mediocre, but <laughs> but how do I get the staff to buy into them? So let's just put that out there as a thing for everybody to consider. <laughs> never been contacted by someone who thinks they have bad ideas, but want to get them implemented. So uh, so that's, that's the thing. <laughs> let's talk about why this happened. So we don't exactly know. I think some quick interviews of the staff would give us what we need, but mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's lay that out. So you already laid out the first one is uh, we see it commonly. People are overwhelmed with the number of ideas or the number of projects. Mm-hmm. And so those are great ideas. If it's just a fire hose of guys, we're going to do this new form and we're going to take this new approach and we're going to do this new training and we're going to be checking people in this way. And we're going to be, you know, having people work together like this and you're going to be assigned a section. And, you know, I don't know, you know, when all those ideas hit at once, it's just a lot. And one big problem for idea people. And I say this as an idea person, especially when you're the practice owner, like Jonathan, um, you, it's real easy to turn to your manager or turn to the staff and say, guys, I want this thing to happen. Make it so. And <laughs> it that's that's super easy. What happens after that is complete chaos and it's a massive undertaking. So as someone who is frequently um, disappointed with how quickly things can move, I just have to tell other idea people, this is a thing that we have to learn, you know, just kind of with some experience and over time as you start to realize I am not a patient person, but I am going to have to have some patience here. And I love I love the idea. Um, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And I personally found that to be true again and again and again. So yeah. are we putting all these ideas forward at once? If so, I think that it's just overload is a real possibility. Yeah, and, and I think that when you couple um multiple awesome big ideas like this together with the fact that people don't like change they just don't they're totally they're totally resistant to it and um so when you're giving them multiple things to change even things that from your viewpoint are quote unquote simple because you're looking at it. I could hallucinate Jonathan in New Jersey that you're looking at it. Like, look, if we do these things ultimately in the long run, it's going to make their lives easier. So why wouldn't they want to do it? Well, it's still, you're still asking them to change three core functions of their job to a degree in some way. And, and that's, that's big. And when you have people who don't like change, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons that, people don't like change. And so the first one is, you know, this, the snowball idea. And so I talk about, I talk about snowballs when I talk about delegating. And so I think about when I have an idea or I have something I want to give to the staff or I want to give to somebody who, who works for me, or I just want to delegate to my technician. I um, think about like a snowball. And so when I have a snowball and that's the idea, I'm going to pass it to you, Stephanie. Well, the truth is 
I can't hand it to you. I have to roll it to you. And what happens to snowballs when we roll them, they get bigger. And the way I say that they, the reason I say they, they get bigger is I have this background information. I have this understanding of how the clinic works as a whole. I have this understanding of um, I've seen this in practice before. All of these types of things, or I can see it clearly in my head. You don't have those things. And so before you can take this idea, you've got to get up to speed. You know, it's, it's even if I tried to say, hey, Steph, I want you to take over ordering inventory. I know what websites we use and I know innately, like just from looking at it, I know kind of what general prices that we pay and I mm-hmm. know how to get customer service and I know who to call and who to talk to. And I know all these tricks and you know, none of the tricks. And so when I go, oh, we're just going to make this one little change. I'm just going to have you do this. I know the job and I'm like, this is a simple task, but what I'm handing to you is not a simple task because you don't have the training. You've got to get up to speed. And so it is a bigger ask than I, as the giver tend to think. And so that's one reason people resist change. I think sometimes people are at capacity. We, they are working as hard as they can work. And I come in and go, Hey stuff, uh, I'm thinking of uh, fear free training for you. And you're, you know, and, and I don't know that you're going home exhausted at the end of the day and feeling perpetual stress of running behind. And what I think sounds like a great opportunity. You think as one more thing that you have to somehow juggle. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I say. I think, you know what? I got a surprise for you. Fear free training. And then tears start to roll down your cheek. <laughs> And at first I'm like, God, she loves this so much. She's so happy. And then, I, then it dawns on me, wait, maybe she's not happy. And, <laughs> and then we have to have a conversation about why you're crying for training. Um, and, and I have to process that. So that's, that's how this happens a lot. It's like, why do they resist? They're at capacity. And the last part that I always throw out there is I think it's important to remember status mentality when we start to shake things up. And I've just seen people get tripped up in this a lot where we come in and we'll add a new protocol. And especially if it's something that deals with technology, like working with the practice management system and dropping mm-hmm. things in uh, into the report cards and things. If I have support staff that are not good at technology, you're not comfortable with technology, this is a big deal for them. A lot of people are really afraid of being left behind. A lot of people are afraid of being made to look like dinosaurs. And so they're going to really fight hard against these things, not because it's not a good idea, not because they don't understand it, but because it will rob them of status and make them look foolish in their own mind. Mm -hmm. And so making people feel safe about change, that's one of the things that we've got to check that box or people are going to push back against it. Well, and the other question that I would have about all three of these, um, and in in particular, using the Fear Free as an example. So, Jonathan said that they were getting trained in Fear Free, and the, the, the team members seemed to be happy, and the practice was paying for it, but they had two people who were outliers, and... And they said that they they wouldn't have time to do everything by the book, so why bother? And that makes me wonder: um, Does the team does do they understand why? Do do they all know why you're doing what you're doing, or are these ideas that you're like, hey guys, this is something we feel like we need? Um, you know, like you said, hey, I want you to do fear 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 free training, and I start crying. 
<laughs> it it may be a completely different reaction if I actually understand the why of what you're asking, what you're asking. And with all three of those, I think that there's there's space that makes me wonder, do do they understand why? Because the buy-in is never gonna happen if if that understanding isn't isn't there. Sure. I, I agree. If they don't understand why we want them to do something, we don't get them to buy in. If they don't feel any investment in the idea, Mm -hmm. if they feel like this is just something that is coming from above and they don't feel that it addresses their problems or they have any ownership of it or anything like that, I think that makes change hard. I think we see people, people not really getting invested if they don't have any investment in the concept. Mm -hmm. If, if it's a low priority for this person, if there's someone who just goes, I don't care about this thing. I or if they feel like they if they feel like they have significant problems and you're bringing them solutions to address non-significant problems, I, I see frustration with that sometimes as well. And again, you and I are just sort of talking through the the overall list of reasons that it's hard to get traction. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know if if the front desk is is there and they're saying, look, we have got. A massive problem with wait time and cu- and clients are getting angry and yelling at us. And we're like, hey, so uh, here's we're going to do some fear-free training. Uh, that doesn't ring helpful and useful. And I can see resentment there. The person saying, why are we spending our time on this instead of spending our time on actual solutions to the real problems that are making my life hard? For sure. For sure. And I think the other piece of that for me would be, I think, um, do they do they truly believe um, that it won't work logistically? Like you said, if they, if they feel like they have other problems and you're bringing them solutions to things that are um, not their major problems, similarly, are they looking at it like, well, this is our current workflow and we have all of these other problems adding this thing in. There's no way that that's, that that's going to happen. There's no way that that's going to work. So I think they have to understand not only the why, but I think there has to be some listening on the idea givers side to understand what their concerns are, um, particularly in the area of workflow and logistics for them. Because the reality is in most practices, the manager, the owner, um, a lot of the times they haven't been in those shoes. They haven't been a technician. They haven't been at the front desk. They haven't been a kennel person. So, um, one of the things that I have found is is um, to be successful when working with new ideas with my team is is to ask them, well, walk me through how you would um, fold this into what you're doing and really kind of try and get an idea of how is this affecting them so that there is further buy-in from them. I think that's a great question of walk me through how this is going to affect your day. Walk me through how this would work in your workflow as you see it. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to realize that some people are just geared that way to have a negative reaction yeah. to new things and new ideas. That's that's yeah. my that's my father. My dad yeah. is that way. And just we as a family know that you present an idea to my dad, he's going to dislike it. <laughs> he is going to say negative things about it. And you just tell him, and then you just let him be negative for a while. And then you come back and you bring it back up later on. But if you're trying to have a decision conversation the first time you engage with him, it is going to go badly. Unless you want him to say no. And then it's going to go great. (laughs) 
but it's going to go badly the first time you bring it up to him. So you don't have a decision conversation the first time you right. have an idea presentation conversation. And we'll get into that in a second. The last thing I got to say, I, I think it's really important that we lay down the things that you and I just laid down. Do they understand? How does this affect them? Do they get the why? Uh, does it, is this too much to ask of them? Is this a bigger task than I think it is when I'm asking them to do it? Is it a low priority for this person? Do they have other things that are much more pressing? And so this seems very peripheral to them. All those things need to be addressed first. Mm -hmm. One of the habits that I think we have is to think ill of the person who pushes back against our idea. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say, hey, Steph, I really want to do this thing. And you cross your arms and go, I, I don't want to do that thing. It is very easy for me, rather than assessing what I have done and saying, did I explain myself well? Is this truly a good idea? Maybe it's not. Or am I asking for too much? It's a whole lot easier for me to say, you know, Stephanie is kind of a jerk. And <laughs> she really, she doesn't want to work hard. Nope. And you know what I mean? And and so yeah. we do that. That's such a common mental trap. For sure. And once we go to that place of, of adversarial communication, where obviously I'm not getting what I want because Stephanie doesn't like me and she's not a hard worker and she's not a good manager. Now, now we're, we're, we're stuck. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not going anywhere. So I don't like to go to those places. But we also have to put some of these things on the table as a real reality because sometimes they are real reality. And so other reasons that people do push back against this include a scarcity mindset. And so for some people, if they take on another thing that you've asked them to do, then you're winning and they're losing because now they're they're cramming more work into their day. And they're still getting paid by the hour. So they're not really seeing any benefits of doing this extra thing that you're asking them. And that is true. I think that's much less common than most of us think that it is. I think it's really easy to immediately go to that as the reason. Mm -hmm. But there are people who do have that mentality and say, I just don't want to do this work. And so I'm going to push back against it. I think that one of the ways, just so you know, that we encourage that behavior is by really running a transactional clinic or having a transactional culture. And so what I mean when I say that is you are setting yourself up for this type of problem. If you run your clinic in a way that everything centers around you give me blank and I'll give you other blank. You give me X and I'll give you Y. You punch in and I will pay you this money. You do this thing and I will give you this reward. If everything Mm -hmm. is transactional like that, you do blank and I will give you blank. And it's all about you as an individual and what's in it for you. If I manage you that way, and a lot of clinics do manage people that way entirely. Mm -hmm. I have built this game of tip for tat, quid pro quo. And the game is I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you for things. And then you're going to ask me for things and we're going to negotiate Mm-hmm. so that you get what you need and I get what I need. And then that's not, it's not wrong. And every clinic has that to some degree. I mean, to some level, it's you show up on time for your shift and clock in and we will pay you the agreed upon rate. Like that, mm-hmm. that exists mm-hmm. everywhere. 
But if that is the all-encompassing philosophy of your practice, you're going to keep running into this every time you try to do something new. And then you end up feeling like, God, every time we want to make a change, I'm back here talking about bonuses or rewards or, you know, giving people things so that they'll do the job I'm asking them to do. And Mm -hmm. that, my friends, is definitely a path to resentment. And so just be aware if that's the culture, that may be why we're running into these little tip for tat exchanges that slow down progress and change. So what do you think should be happening when you when you have um, when you have a situation like Jonathan, where you've got some new ideas that that you would like to implement as practice owner, practice manager? What what do you think should be happening when you present those ideas to your team so that you don't have some of the negatives that we just talked about? Okay. So when we start talking about things like Jonathan's problem, it could be something as simple as don't ask them to do three big things at once because they're going to get overwhelmed and they're going to shut down. But let's say that it's not. Let's say that this is a greater conversation about getting people to buy in. The first thing we really have to do is lay groundwork. And so we have to set our clinic culture up to be one of change and accepting change. And people hate when I say that. Because everybody just wants me just to tell them, tell them the thing that they need to say to make this person change their position. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that thing generally exists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People get real frustrated. They're like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, well, we have to start by being a nice person. They're like, I don't have time for that crap. (laughs) Tell me what to say. Is it, can I, can I hit them with something? Like, you're like, no, just. You have to you have to make them like you. Like, that seems like a lot of work, and it, and it is. Oh and my so, god! I'm laughing. Uh, I'm laughing because I'm I have a a very vivid picture in my head of of the person that you're talking about, and they're not a bad person, but like that that is how their mind works. Is like, no, I I want this yesterday. So how do I get there? Like, how do I skip past all the steps of having the touchy feely stuff happen? Like, how do I just get to the end result? <laughs> totally. Well, I think there's a personality type that gets into this spot a lot. And I totally empathize with this personality type because I, this is my sort of core nature. And I've, I've worked for years and years to kind of work around it. And so I, I feel this pain very much, but I also think I have some insight here as someone who has been, who has struggled with this exact thing. And so if you are a person who is fairly impatient, if you are a person who is very results oriented of just get it done, mm-hmm. that is when we fall into these problems of why aren't you, why aren't you getting it done? What do you mean you don't want to do this thing? What do you mean you don't have time? I don't want to hear this. I'm busy. Just say yes and then get it done. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad personality type. I I have a I have a streak of that for sure. <laughs> I set myself up for struggle and failure if I lean too far into that because you have got to lay the groundwork so that when you say, guys, I need you to back me up, please jump on the boat. Let's go. They are ready to jump. And Mm so we start off and we have, we have to build to that. And so how do we build to that? This is general culture 101, you know, open lines of communication, checking in with your people, just knowing your people, knowing what's going on in their lives. Just not, you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to get them on the therapy couch. That's definitely not what I'm saying, 
But if you don't know anything about the people that you're managing and leading, it is real hard to appeal to them and make them believe that you care about them mm-hmm. and that their interests are on your radar. Mm-hmm. People will definitely more likely to come along and help you make changes if they think that you are aware of what they need and you're making changes while looking out for them. If they don't think that you know their name, they're probably not going to be really believing that you're thinking about them as you make these changes. Right. Right. The other piece of that that I think is important is the ongoing piece, which is that um, particularly when you're in Jonathan's position and you're trying to enact change in your practice, frequently I see um, practices, and and I've done this, where you have a lot of communication and a lot of open communication at the front end, like, hey, we're going to, we want to do this thing, like, let's work on it as a group, let's talk about it. And there's a lot of communication up front. And there's nothing, 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 nothing. And then it's like, hey, this isn't working. And now we're going to communicate again. Like that, (laughs) that is, um, it happens all day long in practices. And the reality is part of why, the reason why that that is failing is because it's not ongoing. There isn't check-ins along the way. So you start and then you're not talking to them again until usually it's because you feel like it's failing and you're asking them, why is this thing not happening? And so it went from an open, positive experience to, uh, I feel like I'm being chastised because I'm doing something wrong. And that creates um, negative feelings and that creates resistance from the team. So the ongoing piece of it is really, really important. How many of us have worked for a boss or been a boss who came around at two times? Number one, when something went wrong. Mm -hmm. And number two, when they wanted something. Mm -hmm. It's like if the boss comes, I either made a mistake or the boss wants me to do something. Mm -hmm. And and I... After a while, if everything is a criticism or a request, people, people start to, they start to resent that. They start, they start to dodge those conversations. It's like nothing good comes from the boss coming to me. I either messed up or she wants something. And I just, I know why people do it. I mean, it's obvious why we do it. I'm sure I've, I've been that person. I'm sure I have where the truth is I don't want you to ask me for things or I don't want you to tell me that things aren't working or I don't want you to give me problems that I have to solve for you. So I'm going to kind of stay right. away from you until I need something. And I, I don't think that that's a conscious decision for most of us. I, I don't think it's ever been a conscious decision for me, but when things are going great, I think most of us have other fish to fry. And so we just don't tend to be around. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Talk, Talking about the greater good, talking about core values, talking about what our practice means and why we're here, mm-hmm. those are the conversations that we want to be having in an ongoing basis. Because I'm sure some people are thinking, well, Andy, what, what am I supposed to talk to the front desk about on an ongoing basis? If things are going well, some of it's just checking in, it's asking them about their weekend, how things are going, and just learning about them, You know, building that relationship uh, strength. So that when you make an ask to them, you're using a stronger relationship power to do so. Mm-hmm. But but another part of it is living your culture, living your mm-hmm. core values, mm-hmm. talking about the practice, talking about the practice in a greater sense. Okay. And so what, I'm, what I mean when I say this is if people think that they come to your clinic so that they can trade hours in their day for dollars in their bank account. That's a, that's, that's sad. 
that's sad and that's not motivating. I think the real motivation for working in vet medicine comes from feeling like you're doing good in the world, feeling like there's a greater purpose to what we do, feeling right. like the clinic that we're in has a meaning and has a mission and has a vision. And I'm part of something. I'm part of a team. I'm part of a group doing good. I think that that's a much bigger motivator than most of us realize. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about our team and we talk about all for one and one for all, and we take care of our people and Mm -hmm. we look at this greater, higher purpose, I think that when I come back and say, hey, Steph, I want to get you trained for fear free or hey, Steph, I need to talk to you about um, the way we're checking in appointments. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it's not tit for tat, quid pro quo. What are you going to give to me? And I'll do this for you. Suddenly it's. This is how our practice moves forward. This is how the team is going to move. And I'm a part of this team and I want to support. Why? Not because I get a, you know, paycheck every other week, but because I think that we're doing something that matters. And I don't think most leaders and managers in vet medicine talk about how much what we do matters. Right. Well, and for, I, I could hallucinate that we have some listeners right now who are going, okay, but Andy, that sounds like super touchy feely and that's not where I live. And like, I don't want to be in that, you know, the constant like touchy feely thing. I totally hear that. And so I think when, when you first read the scenarios, I had two thoughts. One was that um, these are all things that as a practice owner, as a practice manager, I could absolutely see you wanting to say to your team, Hey guys, this is the job that I want done and this is how I want it to be done. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with wanting to implement ideas like that so that the job is being done the way that you want it. I think what you said is very important, which is that there has to be some connection to the why because the majority of our teams don't think about it from a perspective of, I want the business to do well so I can so I can reward you guys or I can pay you more or that we're profitable. That's not how their minds are thinking. They're thinking about their patients because for 99.9% of them that is their why. You occasionally have people on your team who really they they, they like their coworkers, they like the environment and so they're happy with it just being a job. They're um and that's and that's okay too. But for the majority of them, it is about their patience and you have to find a way to connect to that. And so with all three of the examples that Jonathan gave us, my mind immediately went to how easily you could tie each of these things to the patience and the why. Because the reason the reason why, whether this is your reason or not, Jonathan, the reason why you're doing those three things are because they absolutely can improve the care that you're giving to your patients and the care that you're taking with your clients. And that reason matters to your team. Absolutely. Let's talk about, and you're already starting down this path. Let's talk about how we get there. Let's talk about how we go from where we are to a culture and a clinic where people buy in and and they're willing to make changes. Mm -hmm. And I think you just sort of started with with the philosophic part. So let, let's start there of sort of getting our head around, around what does this look like from a philosophic level? And number one thing, I, I think that you and I both would agree with this. You've got to know and understand your people, mm-hmm. right? Like we have to, we have to understand them. And, and, yeah. and I say that, so beginning at the beginning, 
we, you and I talk a lot about the two levers that you can pull and it's, it's the organizational positional power lever, which Mm -hmm. is I'm your boss and I told you to do this. And so I need you to do it. And if you Mm -hmm. don't do it, there are going to be consequences. Mm -hmm. And then there's the relationship lever, which is, Hey, I like you. I care about you. You like me. You care about me. I need your help with this. And this is why will you step up and help me? And Mm -hmm. That's the relationship lever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like that organizational power lever. I, you know, I really think that we need to stay away from it as much as we can. And so a lot of people say, I don't know why this guy, Jonathan, is struggling. I just tell him, you do it or you're fired. That's a terrible strategy. And mm-hmm. when you're paying people the crap that we pay a lot of our support staff, mm-hmm. which is bothers me, but is totally true, you don't get to do that. You know, it's it's no one is going, oh my God, if I lose this. Eleven dollar an hour, or eleven dollar an hour, you know, job. I'll be, I'll be out of, I'll be so bad off. That's not what they're thinking, and that's not the motivator that you want. It's just the whole thing is messed up. You want that relationship lever. You want them to care about you and know that you care about them, and they do it because they want to help you. And so mm-hmm. that helps in that helps in everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I would say is that you can achieve the same end results that the people who are trying to pull the power lever, the the end result that they want is that they want the job that they feel like needs to be done, done. You can achieve that exact same result, but you are going to get far better results if you achieve it by, by using the relationship lever than by just yanking down on the power lever and saying, this is what I want you to do. Just do it. Um, is is often not going to going to be done the way that you actually want it to do uh, to be done. So I think if you if you tend to be that person, and and I know that there have been points in time yeah. in my management career where I have absolutely been like, I, this is just the job that I need you to do. I I want you to just do it, and and I have reached for that, and it hasn't it hasn't gone so well. And so I I would say that you can still achieve the same end result. But if you use the relationship lever, you're going to have a much more positive long-term outcome. So if you use the relationship lever, this is what it lets you do. And now, now I think you'll start to see why this is so important. Exactly what I'm talking about. If I know you, then I can do a couple of things, right? Number one, I can present my idea in a way that lets you, that frames it in terms of your priorities. Mm -hmm. And so if you're someone who cares about patient care above all else, let me talk to you about getting these questions filled out in a standardized way at the beginning so that we have the best information to treat this pet, you know, going forward in the exam. Let Mm -hmm. me talk to you about how fear-free training or fear-free certification is going to allow us to practice better medicine and get better patient outcomes, right? Or if it's about, um, you know, if it's one of the, if it's the practice owner that I'm trying to talk to and I want, I want my practice owner to make a change, let's talk about how this is going to grow the practice. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about how this is going to make the clients thrilled, whatever that person's priorities are. I can talk about that. If I'm talking to to my front desk person and I know that she feels overwhelmed or that she feels stressed by the amount of work that we have, I need to frame these ideas in a way that emphasize how they will reduce her stress. Right. 
because that's what she cares about. But if I don't know that she's feeling overwhelmed, then I can't talk to her about how having standardized questions when we check patients in is going to speed up the process and allow people to move forward faster and, and, you know, and, and increase our workflow, things like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I understand her priorities and I can talk to her about what she cares about, which is going to be my best approach, right? Mm -hmm. I can, I can frame the goals in terms of that person's progress or development. If I'm talking to one of my technicians and I'm talking about fear free and she says, look, man, we're not, we don't have time to do all of these things. So why, why, why bother? If I know what her career goals are or where she wants to go or how she wants to grow or where she sees herself in five years, now I can start to talk about how Fear Free will help us move in the direction that she wants to go. And sure, we may not be able to do all of the things, mm -hmm. but we are still going to accumulate this knowledge and we are definitely going to be able to implement it in these ways that she cares about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that move her in the direction that she wants to go. Mm-hmm. The relationship lever helps us select leaders from inside of our team. If everything is top down where the manager or the owner are like, guys, this is what we're doing and I'm going to be the boss and you guys are going to do what I say. I think that's an exhausting way to lead and it generally fails. Mm -hmm. I want grassroots movements on my team. Mm -hmm. I want, I want to not be the one driving the bus on fear free I want two technicians who are like, yeah, we're doing this and I will stroke the check and make the meetings happen and cheer them and support them and get them whatever they need to be successful. That's the, that's the, that's the system that I want. And so if I know my people, I can find those people and say, Hey, um, Kayla, what do you think about fear free? Well, I mean, would that be something that you think would be a good investment here? And I know she's going to say, oh, heck yeah. But I want her to say, oh, heck yeah. And then I want her to say, you know what? I would, I would love, I would love that. And I'll say, would you be, would you be interested in leading the charge if this is where we decided to go? Mm -hmm. Guys, now you can see I'm, I'm building a coalition here, right? I am getting, I am getting real enthusiasm and now I'm giving ownership to Kayla and Kayla's like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I will make this happen. This mm -hmm. is my thing. And now I'm supporting someone who has ownership over the idea. And honestly, as long as I'm supporting her and everybody knows I'm supporting her and I am in this too, I think she may be more effective than I am as far as getting a lot of people on board and really getting the staff to buy in. Because now it's not a management initiative. It is a team initiative that's coming up. And it plays to that all for one, one for all. We're a team. We support our people. And what they care about matters to us. And again, we're re-emphasizing the, the the positive culture that we want to build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I would say that when you're talking about implementing, um, you know, kind of big ideas like like the three examples we got, I have never been successful at implementing ideas like that without at least one or two key stakeholders on the team. If there are cheerleaders on the field all day long, you will be so much more successful. But if you are the only one leading the charge, you are going to find that it is more than an uphill climb. And so I think that piece of it is so, so important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If It's exhausting to be the one who's trying to push this change. It mm -hmm. really is pushing a boulder up a mountain. And, you know, I... 
what happens when everything comes from the top. And even if it's one thing, say that you choose one thing and you're like, this is the thing that we are going to do. And I'm going to drive this through my clinic. Sometimes people will resist you. And sometimes they will say, I don't want to do this. Honestly, I think that that's a, I think it's a good thing if they say that because they trust you enough to give you feedback and tell you how they feel. And that's worth something because the mm -hmm. alternative is very, very common where no one says anything. They just nod their heads and act like they're going to support you. <laughs> and then you get, you get what I call prednisone change. And so you tell them, guys, we're going to do this thing. And they do it twice a day for a week. And then they do it once a day for a week. And then they do it like every other day for <laughs> another 10 days or so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Prednisone change is so true. Yeah. I never, I never thought about it that way, but that is, that is an amazing analogy. I <laughs> and then they're off. Then they're weaned then they're back off. in the way things were. Yeah. And, and you've run out of gas because you pushed this thing for three weeks and you're tired and, and they've just gone back to normal. Like nothing happened and you you're, you're spent and you're done. And I think that that is how the vast majority of change initiatives yes. in vet medicine go. Yes. A hundred percent, 200%. Cause <laughs> I'm laughing because that is, that is hashtag truth. <laughs> that is my reality so many times. And it makes it makes total sense. You, you and 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 I agree with you that part of how you fight that is that you have more than one push it, more than one person who's dosing out the pills. So exactly. when you when you are tired of doing it every day for a week, then someone else can step up and they can take every day for a week, and then the next person can take every day for a week, so that you don't hit the let's just slide back into the old routine period. Um, that that makes all the difference. Yeah, you you don't want to be the only one pushing the boulder. You yeah. want to recruit people who care to help you do this thing, and yep. for that to happen. You need to know them so you can communicate in an effective way. You can deliver a message that resonates with that person or with that group of people. They need to understand why you want to do this. Like the why really matters. They need to see the vision of what is possible. They need to understand value of the changes in the big picture. Like if our practice believes in X, Y, and Z, why are we doing this? And how does what you're suggesting support X, Y, and Z that mm -hmm. we care about? And then finally, they need to be able to see themselves in the future. And what that means is, like I said before, it, it's about status. If I think that this change is going to decimate my role in the practice, if it's going to make me unsafe, if it's going to make it so that I don't get to do the things that I love and I'm going to have to do things that I don't love, I, that's hard. I'm not going to get behind that. I'm just not. But if mm -hmm. I understand what my life will be like and what the future will be like, and I can see myself in that future in a positive way, I'm much more likely to get on board with where you're going. Now we got metaphors everywhere. We got some pills. We got boulders that we're rolling <laughs> and we're going somewhere. Just throw in a car and we'll be all good. <laughs> exactly. So lots of metaphors flying around. I hope we have not muddied the waters too much. Okay. So they've got, They've got their, they've got their cheerleaders. They've got their ringleaders. They, 
know who their team is and they've had the the conversations to help them figure out what are their priorities and how do I tie this idea to their priorities? So yep. everybody has a piece of the the why and can see the value in the big picture of where you're going. How do you how do you actually make the change happen? Because I think that's what Jonathan is is struggling with. He knows that these are really good ideas. And maybe he's tried even presenting them to his team in some of these ways, but it's not happening. So how do we get there? All right. Here's what you do after we've, because we've, we just talked about all the groundwork stuff that nobody wants to hear about, but really needs to hear about. So mm-hmm. here's what we actually do for me. Number one, prioritize the projects. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Which one do you, what, what do we care about? What are we doing now? And again, we overestimate how much we can do in a short period of time and underestimate how much we can do in a long period of time. Yep. Pick a thing and do it and really do it well and go deep into getting it done. And then when it has normalized and it's become what we do and how we practice, then we move on to the next one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pre-wire. So meeting pre-wiring is this. I don't want to go into a meeting with my staff and be surprised about the feedback that I get. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I want to go into a meeting and have a pretty darn good idea of where everybody's head's at. That doesn't mean everyone agrees with me. It doesn't mean everyone is happy. It just means I'm not caught by surprise about what they're unhappy about or how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that means just casual conversations. Again, this is that relationship lever. Like, hey, Kayla, what do you think about fear-free stuff? Is that, I mean, you think that would work here? I, I'm fishing, right? I want to see, I'm checking the temperature in the room. Mm-hmm. Does she hate it? Does she love it? Is she mediocre on it? If she's, if she hates it or she's mediocre or she loves it, tell me why. Like, what right. are her concerns? What is she excited about? Because you better believe I'm going to use those as talking points. And the right. more of her words I use, the more I'm going to impact the rest of the support staff who maybe sees things in a very similar way. Right. And so don't surprise your staff with these ideas. You're really rolling the dice. Have some conversations with people that you think are, are ringleaders. They may not be positional leaders. They may not have a title of head technician or, or head front desk uh, tech or wh- whatever. That, but people look to them. They're the ones who set the tone and you know who those people are. Sure. I think the other thing that you pointed out that could be super valuable is using the same tactic of having the conversations, but doing it with the people that you know are going to be resistant. I mean, we we all know who the people are in our practice that are like, nope, not going to do it because I'm an Eeyore, right? Like there's always mm-hmm. gloom and doom. There's always some reason why change is a bad idea. So start with those people and ask them to, because understanding the their why understanding the why behind their concerns is going to be the key for you in terms of being able to flip the switch with the team you have to understand what are they actually concerned about and you can do that in a team meeting but you can also do that in a in a one-on-one like that and say hey listen i wanted to get your help with something i want to understand where this um you know how i can help make your life easier tell me about this and ask them some open-ended questions and get them talking about it and find out what are their actual concerns because then you have something concrete that you can address. It's not to say that you don't have to implement the change because they don't like the idea of change. You have to figure out how, 
how do you get them to circle around to, to be where you want them to be? And the best way to do that is to talk to them and have, have those conversations. I agree. And I would vote for having those conversations privately or having them one-on-one. I don't like to engage my Eeyores in front of a group. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times that makes them really defensive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and also there's a risk of them throwing out a negative piece or aspect or idea that I haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. And if I talked to them beforehand and said, oh, she's got a real point or, oh, she thinks she has a point, but, but she really doesn't. And I can explain why if I had that information going in, then when I presented to the group, I could go ahead and say, guys, I know some people might be concerned about blank mm-hmm. here. Here's how I think we're going to address that. And she mm-hmm. may still not be on board or he may still not be hundred percent on board, but I've at least addressed that concern. When we start talking about change or getting ideas through our team, it helps me. I think of a, I think of a mine cart, you know, like that, like the, you know, the cart in the, uh-huh. at, yeah, at, like at, in a bank. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the one that yeah. rides on the track and you, okay. and there's three kinds of people. We like to think that there's people who are with us and there's people who are against us. There's a third group of people. And those are the people who are neutral and they're just going to go wherever the team goes. And so I think of the mine cart, I say there's people who help me push, there's people who push against me, and there's people who don't really care. They just ride in the mine cart to go wherever we go. Got it. And I may not be able to get the people pushing against me to ever come and push for me. Right. I just need them to shut up and get into the cart. And I'll be happy with that. Right. Right. And so yeah. I may never, that, that Eeyore person may never become a raving fan. If I can get them to reluctantly get into the cart so that we can work. So if I can get them to not undermine us or not push against us, that may be the biggest win that I can get. And that's okay. I'll Mm -hmm. take that win. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. what you said about asking for their help. Asking for help is a powerful thing. And it really flattens the communication levels here. When I say, guys, I really want your help with this. That's different from me saying, guys, I'm going to need you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. They feel very different. And, and I'm, I'm asking for them to buy in as opposed to telling them what they need to buy in too. Mm-hmm. After that, it comes back to the basics we hit on all the time. It's track progress, right? If you can't measure yeah. it, you can't manage it. Mm-hmm. Reward your team for results. Remember, reward your team. I'm talking about celebrating change. Letting people know that I see what you're doing. I see your efforts. Look at the good that we're doing and trying to show it, show them that it may not be any more reward than that. Other than saying, guys, let me tell you some stories from the last week about what happened because of your efforts mm-hmm. and, and celebrate, you know, mm-hmm. something, something easy. It doesn't have to be monetary. It can be something simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think we, um, we all think about rewarding the team when we think about um, trying to change our clients' behavior, like, right? Like we think, oh, okay, well, we want to improve compliance on whatever. So let's, um, you know, let's do some sort of competition and usually you get your reps help and you get a prize for your team. And like the person who recommends the most, you know, heartworm tests this month, it goes, their names go in and then they're going to get a, you know, a gift card or whatever it is. I don't, I don't think we use that tool enough to think about rewarding our teams when we change the team behavior, which is, I would argue, almost more important than changing the client's behavior. Because if you can't change the team's behavior, you're never going to change the client's behavior. 
Right. Positive reinforcement works. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I mean, we are, it works on all of us. Mm -hmm. If you ask your team to sacrifice for you, share with them the benefits of their sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it. And ultimately, I want to train my team that when I come to them with an idea, with a project, it's going to work. And if they'll get on board with it, this will be good and it will be valuable and life will be better. But I have to earn that and I have to train them to jump on board with this. And what that means is if I ask them to sacrifice for me and then they get nothing and they don't get pats on the back or they don't get to see the benefits of their sacrifice. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to be super excited about continuing to sacrifice for me. And I think that's easy to understand. Well, and I think the other key piece of what you just said is that when you have an idea that you think is going to work and it does not work, that as a leader, you have to be willing to have the vulnerability to hear their feedback and be willing to say, hey, you guys, I thought this was going to work and I thought it was going to be awesome. And and I hear you and it is really not working and it is really not awesome. So how do we how do we change this? How do we fix it? Because if they feel like your idea is the only idea that is ever right, you're never going to get anywhere with them. The next level, like if you really, again, if you really want to be a Jedi, then what happens is you figure out ways and you develop communications and a comfort level so that you can come to your team, not with the project, not with the program, but with the problem. And you say, guys, I feel like we're really struggling at the front desk to, to accomplish these things. Or guys, we're having a real problem with wait time. And I have some ideas, but I, I'd like to hear your ideas. What do you guys think that we could do about this? And if you're lucky, they will say the idea that you have that you think is brilliant. They've all already had it. Um, but if it comes from them, uh-huh. the next step is not to say, you know what? That's what I was thinking. You're, right. yep, I, I, that, you know, I've got that written down right here. That's what I was coming to talk to you about. It's, don't do that. <laughs> the, the next you go, oh my gosh, that is a fantastic idea. I love, love that. It. You guys are amazing. Oh. How can let's do that? How can how do we do it? And how you can I help- want someone to say, I will step up and do this. Or to say, how can I help you? Like that, that's an awesome idea. How can I help with that? Yep. How do let I them, support you guys? What do you take- need from me? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I think, I think the next step is after tracking the progress and rewarding the team is I think just as you're tracking the progress, you also have to track whether there are problems. And if problems persist, um, particularly if you have a case where there's one person who is a challenge, you, you have to figure out why the problems are happening and follow up on it. You can't just say, okay, we're doing this thing and we're, we're not going to have any, have any follow up or pay attention to when there actually is a problem. Because if the majority of the team gets on board, like with your mine example, and, and they're still, they're still pushing. If you're on the edge of a hill, sure. You're going to, you're going to roll downhill, even if someone's pushing against the cart, but if you're on flat ground and someone's still pushing against the cart, even if the majority of the team is on board, cart's still not going to go anywhere. So you still, you still have to figure out what is, what is the resistance? Yeah. I, I, and there's a mechanism for that. I think 
if we walk through everything that we did and we've tried to get people on board and if the other team is really on board with this and you've listened to them and there are people who are excited and they've got some concerns and, and you've, you have tried to address them, if there's still a person or even if there's a couple of people, oftentimes there's a couple of people clustered around one person. Yeah. There's one negative Nancy, one toxic person. And then they'll have people that work with them or interact with them that will kind of parrot what they say. You know, they're kind of in that click. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you can figure out who the ringleader is there and talk to that person. And we say, hey, look, this is what's going on. What are your concerns? If this becomes a common behavior, if they're always pushing back, if they're aggressive, adversarial, things like that. At some point, you have to pick your poison and know this. You cannot have a integrated um, all for one, one for all culture if you have a cheater. And mm-hmm. what that means is you cannot talk about sacrificing for the greater good. Guys, we're giving everything for the team. We're all in this together, all for one, one for all, except for Carol, who's not on board. <laughs> right. God damn it. Does not happen. And so your whole desire to have a culture where people look out for each other and and really work together and care about the team, you cannot have a toxic person who violates that because other people will get tired of being taken advantage of. So that person cannot stay and be toxic like that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we pick our poison. And ultimately what that looks like is this. You as the manager, the owner, you get to choose how you suffer right? You get to choose your poison. Do you want to have initiatives that don't go anywhere because this person shoots them down and blocks them? And that's awful. And that will frustrate you. Or do you want to fire this person, let them go, move them to another part of the hospital where they don't get to derail what you're doing and deal with the negative consequences of that? Leadership is a lot about picking your poison. And so Mm -hmm. neither of these options is really great. At some point you're going, you may have to make that decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that we're most afraid of as leaders is, is making that call to pick your poison. But the reality is, is that you always have a choice. And so you're, you're choosing by choosing to do nothing and sabotage, let, let the results be sabotaged that's still a choice that you're, that you're making. So you can, you can let the whole team suffer because of that, or you can face the hard, um, the icky, the uncomfortable, the part that everybody hates. And you can look at the problem and say, this is how I'm going to liberate the team from that problem. Whatever that looks like, whether it's moving someone to a different seat on the bus, like you talked about, or, ultimately inviting them to be happier elsewhere and inviting them to leave the team. Um, but there's, there is always a choice there. And I think that's something we forget. I agree. Cool. Have you got anything else? No, I think that is, I think that is good. Hopefully we gave Jonathan some ideas. I would say, Jonathan, don't give up hope because those are three phenomenal ideas. I would just want to know, are you asking your team to try and drink from a fire hose or are you really creating a structure where you're trying to tackle the the amazing ideas one at a time and prioritizing them and figuring out which ones 
not only which ones matter to to the needs of the business and to the workflow and the structure um, based off your team's feedback, but also which ones um, truly have a longer time frame and and can be prioritized that way. I agree. Awesome. Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for emailing us, Jonathan. And for those of you guys who are listening, who are like, ooh, ooh, I have a question now. Um, you can always send us an email, right? Totally. It's podcast at unchartedvet.com. And from now on, I want you to include your own pseudonym. I want you to give us an alias. I love it. Tell us about your alter ego, guys. Oh, yeah. You can, you can go in depth if you want. That's awesome. Have a good week, you guys. See you guys. And that is our episode for the day. Guys, I hope it was helpful. I really like this episode a lot. If you, like Jonathan from New York, have questions that we could help you with, send us an email. Send it to podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. Stephanie and I will take our best crack at it. Make sure to uh, (laughs) give your pseudonym that you would like us to use. And then also give us enough specifics that we can really do some good work and get into the meat of the issue. We will do everything we can to keep you confidential and uh, also do a good job. So anyway, take care of yourself. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Bye.